If you were to think about it, what do you have to do uh, in the near future? If you're already graduated, you've solved that problem. Some of you, you, you got to graduate. That's the great thing that's coming up. It's right around the corner. Maybe you still have to pass a test or two. I don't know. Make sure you do. That could be important. Some of us are thinking about what we have to do today. We have to eat lunch, have to pay bills, yada, yada, yada. The list goes on and on. But I want to share with you the two things this morning. Graduates, I'm going to talk a lot to y'all, but I want to talk to everybody about two things you have to do that if you want to leave this world someday and stand before God and hear him say, well done, you got to do these two things. You got you to make these things happen in your life. And the time to start making that happen is today, not any other time in the future. It's today. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if you have a Bible. If you don't, the scriptures will be on the screens. But take mental note or take notes of these two things because I want to tell you, this is where life boils down to. Here's the first thing. You've got to truly cross the line with Christ. At some point in your life, many of you here have done this. Many of you have not done this. You're a graduate. It's, believe me, this is more important than your graduation. This is more important than your college future. This is more important than what you're doing right now. You've got to cross the line with Jesus Christ. Now, that's a simple way or maybe a more confusing way of saying becoming a Christian. It's giving your life to Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5, listen to what he says in verse 17. This is... This was one of my favorite verses for years. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. One of Paul's favorite ways of of expressing someone having a relationship with Jesus Christ is he didn't say, well, they were a church member or they uh, even said a prayer or they walked an aisle. He said they were in Christ. That's a powerful way Uh, of describing our relationship. He says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Now, this is where you really need to pay attention for your life and your experience today. New here is not talking about numerically. It's talking about quality. What he's saying is, if you truly have come into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, you have become, at some point, you became a new person. Now, yes, you still have an old nature, a sinful nature that rears itself up and that expresses itself a lot of times when you wish that it wouldn't. But folks, when you became a Christian, you became a brand new person on the inside. You got a new master a new attitude, and a new life direction. See, some of you hadn't had that before. You've been sprinkled, you've been christened, you've been baptized five times in a Baptist church, but you've never become a new creation. In John chapter 3, verse 3, listen to what Jesus says, talking about becoming a Christian. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God, no one is going to heaven, Unless they are born again. That's how Jesus described the relationship when a person truly gives their life to Christ. He didn't say you need to be rehabilitated or re-educated or or, or re-whatever, rewired. He said you need to be reborn. That is how he describes coming into a relationship that's going to save you forever. Paul understood this. 
Paul at one time was called Saul. Instead of P-A-U-L, it was S-A-U-L. And Saul hated Christians. He hated Jesus Christ. I mean, he was the original hater. And, and he, he, was, he actually killed people. He actually was on his way to destroy churches when God struck him down. And he became a Christian. It was so radical. He went from literally from hating Jesus one minute to being fastly in love with him the next minute. Some of you have had an experience like that. That you went from being someone who was not interested in God at all and he came into your life and he changed you radically. Some of you, your experience wasn't as, as radical on the outside, but it was as real You know who Tom Landry is? How many of you know who Tom Landry is? Tom Landry had one fault. He coached the Cowboys. I don't know why he did that, but he was a great coach. And in fact, Tom Landry had, as a coach, 20 years, he had 20 winning seasons in a row, won two Super Bowls. He was a great coach. Tom Landry was a great man, too, and he was a Christian man. He didn't become a Christian until he was an adult. And he, Tom Landry had always been a straight-laced good guy. He'd never been a guy that partied a lot, ran around on his wife, beat his kids, things like that. He was a good guy. And when he became a Christian, one of his lifelong friends from, from South Texas said about him, he goes, Tom didn't really need to be changed. Tom was always a good person. And Tom Landry, his response was great. He said, on the outside, I was not immoral, mean, or a, a drunk. But on the inside, when I gave my life to Jesus, he changed me, and I became a brand new person. Has that happened to you? There's an interesting little verse in chapter 6, verse 1. Look at it with me. As God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. Now, that's pretty sneaky, and it's pretty powerful. Some of us have received God's grace in vain. What does that mean? Well, uh, vain there means hollow or empty. The, the best illustration I can give you, in, in Texas one time, I had a, a teenager. I baptized this, this young man when he was a boy. And about five years later, he came back and he was saved. And here's what he told me. He didn't understand theology or this verse. But what he said was, you know, the first time I went forward, it didn't take. <laughs> I really didn't understand what I was doing, and I did it because everybody else was doing it. My brothers were doing it. And, and it was a vain or an empty decision. I wonder if that's true of you this morning. I'm not exaggerating this. I'm really not exaggerating this at all. You can go through life. Young people, please hear me. Everybody else, you old people and in between. Someday you can die, and you can, you can have four doctor's degrees... You can have mega bucks. You can control half the world. You can be known and powerful and famous. And if you die without Christ, you have nothing for eternity. Or you can go through this life, and I'm not encouraging you to do this, but I'm telling you the truth. You can go through this life being a nobody failing at school, failing at life, not encouraging you to do that, but I'm just giving you an example, never making much money, never making a name, but having Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and when you die, you will have everything. I'm not exaggerating that. That is the truth. I want to ask you this morning, have you truly crossed the line with Jesus? Have you truly done that? And I'm not pushing it by telling you you have to. You just have to. For your sake, you've got to do that. Here's the second thing, and it builds on this. You have to spend your life 
helping others to Christ. Do you have to? I think I'm going to prove to you from the Bible that if you're going to follow Christ, you have to. Two things. You've got to cross the line with Christ. Young people, get a degree. Get get whatever you're headed for. Get a master's degree. Get a doctor's degree. Excel in sports as long as you can. Then you're going to be old and like me, and you can't even excel at swimming uh, in a baby pool. Do it as long as you can successfully. But I want to tell you, if you're serious about Christ, you're going to spend the rest of your life helping other people to Jesus too. And I want to give you a couple of thoughts why this is true. First is this. If you're really right with Jesus, you're going to want others to have him. Think about this. How could you truly love Jesus and know him as your Lord and Savior, but you're just not interested? This is a good test to see whether you're in the faith or not. But you're just not interested in helping other people come to Christ. Billy Graham, who certainly I don't think had a bone to pick. Listen to what Billy Graham said. This is a great quote if you're taking notes. Our greatest hindrance to helping others to Christ, to evangelism. Our greatest hindrance is the poverty of our own experience with Christ. Wow. In other words, what Billy Graham was saying, the reason why so many of us preachers, ministers, coaches, teachers, deacons, why so many of us never help anyone else to Christ is the poverty of our own relationship with Jesus. Either we don't have that relationship How can you give away something you don't have? You can't very often. Are we just, we're not in love with Jesus? If you really have Christ, you're going to want to help as many people as you can to him. But here's the second part of this. And this is where I think, man, young people, as you're thinking about your career and your life calling, listen to this. God has commanded you to be his ambassador. To be his ambassador of reconciliation. Now, that's a big, big mouthful. What does that mean? Well, in verse 18, it says, all of this is from God. This didn't come from a preacher. This didn't come from a priest. This didn't come from a youth minister. All of this is from God who reconciled us, who made us right with himself. Reconciling is taking two people who are at odds and bringing them together. And all of us here, some of you still are, all of us at one point before we were Christians, we are at odds with God. And when we come To to Jesus Christ, God brings us, reconciles us to God. He reconciled us and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. People say, what's my ministry? Young people say, what's God want me to do? What's my service? Well, if you're a Christian, you are a minister. Isn't that scary? You thought it was just the paid people who flounder around here all week. Every Christian's a minister. He says, I've given you this ministry, this this service of reconciliation, bringing people to Christ, helping people who are far from God to be right with God. He says, I've given you this ministry. I've given you this service. I've given you this task of helping people to Christ. Verse 19, and that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against him. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. In other words, God says, listen, I didn't, I didn't give the angels this job. 
I didn't give the job just to your paid ministers or to missionaries. I'm giving it to all Christians. Part of your job description, a major league part of it, is that you, the rest of your time here on this earth, is you help others come to Jesus. In verse 20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you be reconciled to God. What is an ambassador? How many of you know the name Christopher Stevens? Do you recognize that name and face? That, that was a United States ambassador to Benghazi. He was murdered in Benghazi. A United States ambassador is a representative. I heard someone say that. That's what it is. It's a representative of our country. It's a, it's a position of great power. It's a, it's a position of great influence. It's normally a three-year appointment. But they go, what they do is they go to a foreign country to represent our president and our country to that country. And now in Paul's day, this is very interesting. In Paul's day, Rome ruled the world. And Rome divided their world up into two provinces. One was called senatorial provinces. These were provinces that the Senate ran from Rome. They were at peace. Everything there was good. Everything there was cool. Then there was another type of province called imperial provinces that the emperor himself ran. But here's the catch. Those were provinces where there was strife and there was war. Soldiers went to those provinces, but that's where the emperor sent his ambassadors. And the ambassadors were sent there to represent the king and the country to try to help that, those people be at peace with Rome and at peace with the emperor. Here's how it applies to us. Philippians 3.20. Our citizenship is in heaven. That's a little bitty phrase that you could easily miss. You know, this is really neat. God says this. God says if you're a Christian, this may sound weird, but really your ultimate home is in heaven. And you are on earth as a missionary. You say, well, I thought I had to go to India to be a missionary. You are. You are on earth to be a missionary. This is not your ultimate home. This is foreign soil. Folks, I want you to get excited about this. Here's what God's saying. God's saying, I've left you here to be the representative of the king of kings, to be my representative, to help people here on this earth be reconciled to God. Wow, that ought to excite you. Now, now listen. Whatever God, and I think God calls people into every profession there is to be coaches, teachers, doctors, preachers, missionaries, farmers, lawyers, Indian chiefs, housewives, whatever it is. I think if you listen, God has a groove and a spot for you. But I want to tell you, in that job, part of your job description, here's why you need to listen. Because many of us are failing at this. We are called to win people to Christ. So what does God want you to do the rest of your life? I don't know specifically. uh, uh, Career-wise, how you're going to make money. But I know this, God, whatever it is, God wants you to cross that line with him and to help as many other people as you can cross that line. That's in your job description for life. And I want to tell you, folks, this is our urgent life mission. This is our urgent life mission. I don't think you need to delay, go to college for four years, and then at the end of four years go, I think I want to change my major and do something else. 
Find out what your career should be as soon as you can, but understand your urgent life mission is to help other people come to Christ. In verse 20 again, we are Christ ambassadors, though God was making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. I heard a minister, and I really like this minister. I've listened to him, read his material for 20-something years. But here's what he said. And, and at first, it sounded good. It sounded dignified. It sounded, it sounded like it really brought glory to God. He goes, never, never demean the gospel or Jesus by begging people to come to Christ. Doesn't, doesn't that sound good? It's just wrong. The word implore means to beg. It means to plead. It means to insistently do whatever you have to do to help other people come to Christ. Listen, listen to the Bible above any preacher. Amen? See, I said, y'all amen that. All I'm doing is I'm plagiarizing. I'm just reading from the book. We beg you to come to Jesus Christ. Folks, a, a diplomat in Paul's day, they stood on their dignity. They stood on their royalty. Many of us will never get to be an ambassador. You know why? Because you've got to be politically correct, connected and corrected, and you've got to be in the play and in the know and dignified. God says, listen, I don't care about your past or your education or how much spiritual knowledge you have. When you come to Christ, I am making you my ambassador. And this ought to be our urgent life mission. This ought to be something that, that fires us up. If you believe the Bible, if you believe Jesus is the only way to heaven, if you believe heaven's real and hell's hot, shouldn't this get you going? No, not really. Oh, really? It should. Man, I want to challenge you, young people. Win championships, win your degrees, win the big, big business deals and tie it to your church. See if y'all are listening. Win the elections you run for. But win people to Christ. See, everything you accomplish down here, a lot of it is great, it's wonderful, but it's either going to blow off on the way up or burn off on the way down. But every person you help to Christ, you are helping them for eternity. For eternity. Young people, I want to tell you something tough. A lot of people my age, they just don't get it. Or they don't care. I want to challenge you, don't be that way. I want to close with two stories. One is from the Bible. It's from John chapter 4. When you get home, read John chapter 4. Don't read it now or you'll hurt my feelings. I had a sister literally get spanked for reading the Bible during the sermon one time. Wasn't that weird? I thought it was weird, but she wasn't following the preacher. She was just reading. Now I'm amen in that. I thought it was good. John chapter 4, it's, it's a story of a lady, just to put it bluntly, it's kind of trashy. And she bumps into Jesus at this well. You remember this story now? 
And Jesus blows away all the social and political and religious customs by talking to this lady. She's a Samaritan. He's a Jew. They hate each other. They're the cultures they do. Jesus didn't hate her. And Jesus knows her story because he's Jesus. Isn't that the cool thing? When you're talking to Jesus, you can't lie. He knows the score, doesn't he? Jesus, I didn't cheat on that test. <coughs> he knows. And so they get to talking, and she goes, you know, I think I'll go get my husband. And Jesus says, you don't have a husband. <laughs> You've had five. You're living with some guy right now, and he ain't your husband. I don't know if ain't was in the Greek or not, but it probably was. And she didn't get mad. You know what she did? She went, uh-oh, <laughs> this is God. And she became a Christian right there, this trashy woman. And you know what she did? She didn't, she didn't go start arguing theology. She grabbed somebody. What do you think about creation? Or what do you think? About? No, she didn't do that. You know what she did? She went and she immediately went back to her home where everybody knew trashy woman. And she, she brought a bunch of people to Christ. Immediately a bunch of people were saved. And then because of her influence, Jesus spends a couple of days in the town and almost the whole town is saved. Now I want you to hear this. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just trying to be honest. Here's a trashy woman that sadly a lot of churches would not want her in. And within three hours of becoming a Christian, she won more people to Christ than a lot of people who've been sitting in church for 50 years will ever win to Christ. You want, do you want someday... To hear well done from God, you take as many people with you as you can. But I want to go back to what I said first about crossing the line. Back in March, I was doing a revival in Cleveland, Mississippi. It was a Sunday morning through Wednesday night. We had Sunday morning meetings Sunday night, Monday afternoon, Monday night, Tuesday morning. I mean, we had a bunch of preachers. So I wasn't on vacation, as some of you were counting. And, and the people were wonderful. This is church, about 150. They were wonderful. I preached that first sermon. We gave the invitation. I want to tell you, unless there would have been an earthquake, no one was going to move. I said, come forward. And I mean, it was like, nope. They were leaning backwards. <laughs> come forward. Nope. <laughs> Great people. Fed me well. It was great. Sunday night was great. Monday, too. Everything was great. But I mean, I'm telling you, short of a fire, there was nobody was going to leave, move. And then Wednesday at lunch, I preached. It was wonderful. Not the preaching, but just the lunch. And, and a little lady, 83-year-old lady, came up to me and she said, will you come to my house this afternoon? The preacher was sick. He had a stomach virus. Nobody wanted to be near him, including her or me at that point. And, and I told my wife, I said, Cindy, she was 83. If she had been 43, I would not have gone to her house, but she's 83. I thought she was safe and I'm safe. We're both, we're both good. And so we, we, get to, we get to her house and we sit down and she says, Chris, come sit down right here by me. Again, she's 83. Y'all keep that in mind, okay? So I wasn't like making a move. And uh, so, so I sit down, I sit down beside her and she starts to cry. And she said, Chris, I've been in church my whole life. I was baptized years ago. 
She said, I'm not a Christian. She said, I've missed God. And we prayed right there. We held hands. She's 83, remember. We, we held hands and we prayed. And that precious little lady gave her life to Christ. She began to cry. And she said, I hadn't been able to come at night because I can't drive when it's dark. But she said, I'll get there this evening. I'm coming down the aisle. I'm coming down that aisle tonight, and I'm going to let the world know Jesus is my Lord and Savior. That night, here she came, and four more people in their 70s came and gave their life to Christ. So I want to tell you, if you're 50, 60, or 70, you're not getting to heaven just because you're old. You're not getting to heaven because you've been baptized, christened, sprinkled, you're a Baptist, whatever you are. You're going to get to heaven because you've crossed the line with Christ. I was 19. Years ago, I sat where y'all sat in a church service. I, I would have told you I was a Christian. I wasn't a Christian. But I, when I was 19, thank God, at the end of my freshman year, I realized I hadn't crossed that line. The greatest thing I ever did was cross that line with Christ. If you haven't done that this morning, you need to do it. You need to do it before we leave here. Let's pray. Christian, I want to again talk to you. Come this morning. Or where you're standing, make a commitment to be Christ's ambassador. People are waiting on you. They're waiting on you to cross that line with him. The Bible says they need help. Those of you out here who are not Christians, would you give your life to Christ today? Where you're seated, would you pray with me and just say, Jesus... I'm a sinner. And I want to turn from my sins. I believe you're God's son and that you died and that you arose for me, Jesus. Come into my heart. And this morning, I give you my life. I'm crossing that line with you. Let me have your attention.